0: life of faith is not normally an easy life. Maybe I should say that about 15 times. <clears throat> the life of faith is not normally an easy life. I think of the persecuted church around the world. And not just today, but throughout the ages. And I try to picture myself sometimes... And this of course is, is uh, go figure. A bit sarcastic, or maybe cynical is probably better. But I picture myself walking into a refugee camp and this is a present day, by the way, situation and picture myself going in one of these camps where Islamists are quoting making the U.N camps a living hell." Christians. And then I see myself gathering this crowd and saying, okay, here I am. I'm the, you know, the white missionary from America. And now here we are. I know your life is a living hell here, but I want you to all join me in this chorus. Are you ready? Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Woof, <laughs> And I think, you know what? Of course, I wouldn't dare do that. Yeah. Rightly take my life into my hands. But I'm telling you, life of faith is much more like what we get glimpses of throughout the Scriptures. And I'm thinking about the faithful believers in Jehovah who we could call them pre-Christians. I'm talking about the remnant And the turmoil and the struggle of living in Sodom and Gomorrah. Because you may remember, if you know the story well, that it was their cries and their pleas to heaven because of the godless immorality that was surrounding them day and night. Saying, Lord, please, how long? That's much more. What the life of faith is like, it's not an easy one unless you're a prosperity preacher. David loved Yahweh, and David's been on the run, and Abiathar was the only priest, by way of review, to have escaped the murderous rampage of Doeg, killing 85 priests under orders by King Saul. When David's informed, David realizes that he was unwittingly complicit In Saul's rage, because David wasn't exactly forthcoming when he arrives in Nob, and he's talking to Ahimelech, the high priest, and telling him what the situation was. Oh, he didn't lie. He was answering Ahimelech's questions, but he didn't offer any information that he didn't ask for. And his lack of candor caused untold numbers of innocent people dying. For you may remember from past weeks that after Doeg slaughtered the 85 priests, he then went and slaughtered the civilians, the citizens of Nob. David was truthful. He just didn't give information that wasn't asked for. Looking back on the repercussions of his stopover in the city of Nob, David is feeling the weight of all that his less-than-forthcoming had to do with all of the devastation. And what we are privy to is that behind all of what's going on in what we would now call history, God was keenly overseeing, even orchestrating the events within the purview of the free will of the people he made, And yet all the time while retaining unilateral control over all things. But what we need to note is that even when we are right smack dab in the middle of God's will for us, it does not guarantee smooth sailing. And that can be confusing. And that can be angering. And it can be frustrating even to the most mature Christ follower. So Abiathar now is the lone surviving priest after the massacre. And he is Ahimelech's son. And so David invites him to remain with he and his army for a modicum of protection. And as we are in 1 Samuel chapter 23, as it unfolds, David is preparing for battle yet again. And we begin in verse 1. Then they told David, saying, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Calah and are plundering the threshing floors. And so David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? Remember the unique commendation the Lord himself gave to David, calling him a man after God's own heart. We keep seeing glimpses of why God saw David this way. After all, look at who David was, even at this early point in his life. He's already an accomplished military leader, and yet he pauses for prayer instead of presumptuously plowing forth in what would be a very natural and a very expected decision, given all that we know about David thus far, concerning his successes against the Philistines. Remember the song that the people would greet him and Saul with. Oh, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And so this highly experienced, highly successful military commander, if he was of lesser character, could quite rightly just lean on his record, instilling confidence into his men by that and getting ready to charge into battle yet again. But a man or woman after God's own heart has a godly perspective on life, which includes the big things for sure, but also the little bitty things and everything in between. David is keenly aware that his successes have been only because the Lord of heaven has been his source of success. And so instead of riding on his laurels of all of his past conquests, he's taking nothing for granted and he seeks the counsel of God. Instead of doing what seems reasonable and obvious, David prays. You know, that's pretty good advice pretty good model for all of us no matter what the level of endeavor we are talking about what i mean is that we shouldn't reserve those times of of peculiarly and pointedly and intently seeking god's wisdom just for those things in our life which are at critical mass or are so far out of control that in desperation okay what do i got to lose yeah gosh i better start praying i better seek the lord Amazingly, while I believe the Lord is ready to hear in those such situations, His ultimate goal is not to be the God of the candy machine, you know, you put in the token of faith, you pull it and you get out what you want, but rather His ultimate goal is to regain a real and a regular relationship with us, not just a sporadic and a selfish relationship. Isn't our tendency in... All the things that we do regularly and where we have achieved an acceptable level of performance or an acceptable level of peace. So there's a reliable predictability to whatever the situation happens to be so that we don't even think about praying about it. I mean, how many times have we been here? Look, you know what? We got through it. We were smart. We're wise. We do this. We did that and everything else. Come on, let's go forth. going to a grocery store. Now, this is kind of a ridiculous and extreme example, admittedly. But it's from my life. We go grocery shopping. And we go in and what? We go in and we get what we need. Today, you don't even need a list. You just Well, not one on paper. You need your phone and or Alexa, who you just tell her what you need on the shopping list, and boom, bang, there it is, and you pull it up. Do you ever pause and shoot up a prayer when you go in shopping? Not. I'm not talking about getting carried away or ridiculous or so. But you know, may, maybe maybe things are tight, particularly tight financially, and so you just you know, Lord, just show me where the the bargains are. Show me where the values are. You know, I the we get in these habits of we buy this and we buy this and we buy this because it's what we're used to. Even though there might be a significant price differential between this, this, and this, and something else that the store has are on sale. It's like, really? You do that? Yeah, not Certainly not every time I walk into the grocery store, but yeah. Or maybe you're having a particular issue that's stressful to you called a diet. Or it's not even a diet. You just have a habit. Okay. Again, speaking from real life. You walk in, it's like, oh, yeah, you know what? Uh eh. Okay, Lord, I... I know I don't need Orville Redenbacher butter popcorn microwaving, even if they're the mini single packages every night of the week. But well, maybe, you know, if they're not in the house, they're not a temptation or whatever. Maybe I'm the crazy one, probably so. These kinds of things, again, sound silly, and I think that even sometimes... I'm wasting the time and the attention of the creator of the universe. I mean, after all, <laughs> look what he's got to deal with on planet Earth. But then again, I think about Philippians chapter 4. Have no anxieties about anything. I like the King James better in this instance. Be careful for nothing. Nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God and, the God and the peace of God which passes all understanding will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I'm not talking about making an elaborate, formal or time-consuming issue out of this kind of praying. I'm just talking about those on the spot, what I like to call prayer telegrams, which is a phrase that I co-opted from Dr. Howard Hendricks, many decades ago, relying on the Lord in all the things. David presumes nothing based on his past successes. I like the investment commercials that you see on TV or the ones that you hear on the radio, and they end. and I don't know if you've ever wondered about this, but you know when they they come on, they go your results. <laughs> You're like, what the heck? Legally, they have to get in that disclaimer. And so they are meeting the letter of the law, which is why they speed it up, because the human being has the ability, supposedly, to comprehend speech that is much faster than what we would normally hear, which means I ought to be able, if I could, to give my sermon in toto in about 12 minutes. And you would theoretically understand it. But I can't keep my words untangled at this rate. So imagine what that would play out like. But those commercials always end with this. Past performance, whether you can understand them or not, past performance does not guarantee future results. I like that. I thought about that thinking about David and all of his successes. It's not a bad disclaimer to put over our lives. So David prays and the Lord answers. And the Lord said to David, David, yes, go and attack the Philistines and deliver Caleb. Okay, David's got it, but David's men say to him, behold, we're afraid here in Judah, meaning in the friendly confines of Judah, how much more than if we go to Kayla against the ranks of the Philistines. Now here again, a very natural, normal, and understandable reaction of David as the proven national leader that he is would be to grow at this point a little short on patience, starting then to say, guys, okay, look, let me remind you of a few things. And then recounting to his men, again, all of his and their successes against the enemy. But again, that That's not what David does. Then David inquired of the Lord once more. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Caleb, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. Now, don't you wish, because I do, that when you prayed for something, especially those kinds of things that are really of, uh, very critical, maybe very time uh, important, but, but dire situations. Don't you wish that God would answer our questions just like he did with David? I do. And today, are you kidding me with the technology? You wouldn't even have to bother speaking, man. He could text us. He could PM us. Go on Instagram, follow him on Twitter. Think of all those possibilities. So why doesn't God do that? Why doesn't he answer us today in the ways that he did in the Old Testament? Well, if I can take you back to my message two weeks ago, I talked by way of illustration about Job And how God never answered Job's questions, because in that particular situation, God chose not to. (laughs) From Job 38, beginning in verse 2, we read, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now, if that's God speaking to you, you're going, Now gird up your loins like a man. I like that. And I'll ask you, Job, and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements, since you obviously know? Or who stretched the line on it? Or what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? The Lord's not being cruel or mean or snarky here. Well, maybe a little snarky with Job. But what the Lord is doing is he is discipling Job, growing him in his theological understanding to see that God is not obligated to answer the likes of us. Whether that is satisfying to you or not, that is an answer. And it's a good answer. But it's not the only answer. There is a, if you will, more theological, or to be more precise, a pneumatological answer to the question. A pneumo- a what? Pneumatology? Pneuma? Pneumonia? Air? Lungs? Right? From the Greek. In our context, it means the study of the Holy Spirit. Think of the wind or the breath of God, the nefesh haya in the Hebrew in Genesis, and the breath of God came up. But that's the pneuma. So there is a answer, an answer that focuses on now a very significant theological difference between Old Testament and New Testament, where it pertains to the Holy Spirit. Unlike believers in the days since Jesus went back to heaven, David didn't have the Holy Spirit residing in him like all all Christ followers do today. Remember Jesus' words in John chapter 16. He's with the disciples. His time is coming to an end. And he says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Referring to his death and resurrection, and going back to heaven. For if I do not go away, the helper, the parakletos, translated the comforter, the helper, it is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And what Jesus is talking about there is that Jesus, while he is God incarnate, fully man, but fully God, he is there in their presence. And when they had an issue, a question, God was right there to answer them as up close and personal as you can get. And so, I mean, if that's your relationship and your 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 uh, prerogative, your privilege with the Lord, why would you want anything else? So I understand their question. They're like, what? No, no. And yet Jesus says, but it's to your advantage. Why would it be to their advantage? Well, let's go back to David. David, and of course, we're talking about everybody in the Old Testament. David didn't have the full, complete revelation of God to man called the Bible like we do. And Peter tells us that it's comprehensive. God's granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. You say, that's the big difference? Well, that is a big difference. Yeah, for sure. We have the full revelation. Well, but I don't know what the full revelation is. (gasps) And why would that be? Most recent statistic I could find, 90%. 90%. Of professing American Christians have never read the Bible, have never read the full revelation of God. Hmm. Let that one just sit there and go. So we have the full revelation of God. And we have the third person of the triune Godhead Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that third person of the triune Godhood, what Jesus was referring to, was when he goes back to heaven, he will send him to now take up residence within every individual who is a true follower of Christ. Meaning what? Meaning now, God is present 24-7. No exception. Given all that, I have to be totally candid with you. I still want to go, certainly at times. Okay, you know, yeah, but, (laughs) but, can I trade not my advantage, but maybe some of my advantage or point, you know, here and there of my advantage for a phone call or a text from on high? Well, no. While that may seem like that would be better, it wouldn't be as great as it might seem. Because as Job found out and many others throughout the Old Testament, and then we move into the, remember the intertestamental period of the Bible when the Old Testament ends in the book of Malachi and then the gospel picks up in the New Testament, there is a four hundred year period of silence. Meaning, no communication from God whatsoever for four centuries. Four centuries. You see, in the Old Testament, nobody was ever guaranteed A phone call from heaven, or a voice from heaven, or angelic visitation, or a dream, or a vision, or any of those things. Which is why the writer of Hebrews, right out of the gate in chapter 1, in verses 1 and 2, says, God, after he spoke, referring to the Old Testament, long ago, through the fathers and the prophets, in many portions, and in many ways, in these last days, that's us, has spoken to us in his Son. Meaning the rest of the revelation. And then chapter 2, verse 1 begins, Therefore, in light of that, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Amazing how clarifying the word of God is. In the Old Testament, God moved when and where and how and with whom he chose on an individual basis. And even with David, he would give David the Holy Spirit to abide with him and stay with him. So God was with him 24-7. The Holy Spirit would come upon David and come upon the prophets and everybody else while God had need, and then the Holy Spirit would come back. You could ask, but you weren't guaranteed an answer. After Jesus went back to heaven, however, he sent the helper to reside within every one of us. Internet, Wi-Fi, cell towers, power outages notwithstanding, people in the Old Testament didn't have anywhere near that kind of an advantage. So David prayed, and the Lord gives, gives David a resounding and unambiguous confirmation in answer to his prayer, saying, David would indeed prevail against the Philistines. Well, how did that turn out? Really, do we need to ask when God says, Go, do, I've given you success, Bada boom, bada bing. You can count on it. It's ironclad. Now it came about when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Kalah that he came down with an ephod in his hand. The ephod was the uh almost the ape very not almost the very apron looking kind of thing that the high priest would wear. And it was meticulously made per God's instructions. Very, There's lots of symbolism in there and everything else. There's 12 gems uh, which represent each of the 12 tribes of Israel and all that. And it was in the ephod or associated with the ephod was the Urim and Fumim, which was the strange and unique way in the Old Testament that they would often make decision-making by casting lots. We've read actually of an example of that right here in 1 Samuel earlier on. And so... The priest comes down and he has the ephod. And it was told Saul that David had come to Calah. Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand for he shut himself. Now this is Saul speaking, said, God has delivered David into my hand for he shut himself in by entering a city with double gates and bars. And so Saul summoned all the people for war to go down to Calah to besiege David and his men. Now David knew that Saul was plotting evil against him. So he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here which means he's going to do some inquiring. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has heard for certain that Saul is seeking to come to Calah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Calah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down just as your servant has heard? Oh, Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. And then David said, okay, will the men of Caleb surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? Please say no, please say no, please say no. And the Lord said, they will surrender you. Huh? Wait, let me ask that one again, Lord. Then David and his men, about 600, arose And they departed wisely from Kayla and they went wherever they could go. And when it was told Saul that David had escaped and we can put in there again from Kayla, he gave up the pursuit again. David stayed in the wilderness in the strongholds and he remained in the hill country in the wilderness of Ziph and Saul sought him every day. But David's superior military skills enable him to stay a step ahead of Saul. Right? Wrong. The text says, but God did not deliver David into Saul's hand. So we've seen, and we are going to continue to see, That in the course of David's life and even through and by God's own installing by hand David as king over his people, that didn't guarantee that it would go smoothly or that every day with Jehovah would be sweeter than the day before. And David was not without responsibility to pursue God and his will as he would take. His steps, meaning just because God was in control, he couldn't just go, okay, cool, whatever. Remember the words of Daniel, chapter 4, and repeated three times in the book. This sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers, and the decision is a command of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes and sets over it the lowliest. Of men. Meaning, even though God is intimately in control, there's still human responsibility to do what we need to do verse 15 Now David became aware that Saul had come out to seek his life while David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish and Jonathan Saul's son arose and went to David at Horish and encouraged him in God and thus he said to him Do not be afraid because the hand of Saul my father will not find you and you will be king over Israel and I will and I will be next to you and Saul my father knows that also So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord and David stayed at Horish while Jonathan went to his house We haven't heard anything about Jonathan in quite a while. And if you need to be remembered, he was the rogue son of King Saul. Rogue meaning he was not with his father. He was not on his side. And he and David, as we know from the past, were BFFs. As Solomon writes in Proverbs 18.24, there's a man or a man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And those of you who have been privileged to have a brother and sister like that, friends of that kind of intimacy and reliability, you know what a precious treasure that is. For David, that was Jonathan. And for Jonathan, that was David. Then the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding with us in the strongholds at Horsh on the hill of Hakilah, which is on the south of Yeshimon? Now then, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to do so, and on our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. And Saul said, may you be blessed of the Lord. Listen to this, which is why I'm slowing down and emphasizing it this way. May you be blessed of the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Just a couple of verses ago, Saul said, and God has delivered David into my hand, for he shut himself in by entering a city that is double gated and barred walls and all of that and reinforced. He's trapped. have got him. Praise be to Jehovah for giving me my enemy. Do you know what is more pathetic than a person who is in abject rebellion against the Lord on high? Do you know what is more pathetic than that? It is someone who is in abject rebellion against the Lord on high, believing that they are doing the work of God. Remember Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul. Before he was the Apostle Paul, he was a faithful Pharisee. And he even admits and confesses with great repentance and sorrow that he put his hand and was part and parcel of taking the Christian's And putting them either into captivity or having them executed, tortured, whatever. And he said, and believing that I was doing God a favor. Any day of the week, if one happens to listen to any kind of news or talk radio or reads any kind of newspaper, you can find this illustrated throughout, throughout every day, literally every day. Day these days. Just one of many examples. We are all acquainted with those who see killing a little baby in the womb as the supreme right of all rights. And we know too well their righteous indignation as they see it against people who dare to defend the right of life of all those who are the most vulnerable of the image bearers of God. And with all the fury of hell, they will stop at nothing to preserve their murderous right, all the while believing, believing with every ounce of their being that they are the virtuous and we are the evil and wicked ones. That is called satanic delusion. Such is the world we are in today. Following the will of God can be painful. And of course it can be joyful. And it can be life-giving but it can also be life, and I mean physically life, diminishing. I send out, or I post rather, just one post a week from the Voice of the Martyrs called ICommitToPray.com, and it's just about one very specific situation somewhere in the world where dear, a dear Christian or Christians are being persecuted in the worst ways because we need to keep in front of our eyes. That every day with Jesus is not a promise that it will be sweeter than the day before. It may be ghastly difficult as the Christians in the early church knew all too well under the madman, the satanically deluded Emperor Nero who took great glee in not just killing Christians, but torturing them, impaling them on poles and putting them live around his patios and setting them on fire to act as tiki torches for his parties. When you read in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, Faith's Hall of Fame, he talks about those faithful of whom the world is not even worthy and we get a glimpse there again of some of the things that they went through and experienced, the tortures. They would wrap them in animal skins that were fresh and they'd toss them out so that the wild dogs and animals would just eat them alive. Doing the will of God is not a guarantee that you will be singing, Skip to the loo, my darling. But remember this. This is not the end of the story. And more and more we're going to have to remind ourselves of that. This is not the end. This is not the end. And my goal here by God's grace and mercy is to finish the race well. When God himself in human form was here. We read again in the book of Hebrews that Jesus himself... It says, for the joy set before him endured the cross. Where do we get this idea, whether it's ever spoken or not, but thinking that, well, he was Jesus, he was God. He knew he was being crucified, but he was God. Wasn't that big of a deal for God Almighty? No, that's why in the Garden of Gethsemane we are given a picture of him who was praying with hematidrosis, a medical term meaning the, the anxiety was so intense and the stress so extreme that he was literally bursting capillaries and his tears and his sweat were as blood. They weren't as blood. They were blood leaking through the skin, praying, If there is some other way, Father, of doing this, take it away from me. But of course, he didn't stop there. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And it was for the joy set before him that he was able to go through what he did. And he did it all for us. And we, thank you, the Apostle Paul to the Romans, chapter 8, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. And nothing will separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. I'm losing patience with the multitude of other Gospels that are being put forth out there. Because when all hell breaks loose, we're only getting tastes now in this country. But it is coming. It will come. It has to come if revelation is true. And, of course, it is. And a church of this size, I firmly believe that if that were to happen tomorrow, God forbid, that next Sunday's worship, we could hold Certainly, in the hub, maybe even in my office. Why? Because many are called. What's the rest of that? Well How many are chosen? How many? I thought God loves everybody. How many are chosen? Few are chosen. I know that. It's everybody else. They, them, and those. We know where they're going to end up. And I'm a little wired this morning because I went to a memorial service yesterday that was all but devoid of hope. Frankly, I'd have to say But by the grace of God, it was devoid of hope. And it was a Christian church and a Christian service. We need to tighten things up. We will not be exempt. But we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Him be the glory and praise. For it is by him that we have been purchased for his purposes. Let me have you stand. Dear God in heaven, thank you. Thank you. The vessels that you have chosen to do your work, Lord, makes me shake my head. And that's just looking in the mirror, Father. Sometimes I, not sometimes, oftentimes, dear God, I, and you know. You know, Lord, that I'm telling the truth right now. I go, Lord, did you really know what you were doing in choosing me? And thank you, dear God in heaven, by eyes of faith and the testimony of the Spirit within. I know you did and you do. Lord God, grab those people wearing your name who are playing games to their detriment in Jesus name Amen